Great song. Thank you, Jeff. If you would open your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I know we looked at this some way last week. We, but I'm going to begin reading again. I want us to read, begin reading at Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that can condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is written, risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is, as it is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And we look last week, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to look at this just a little different. I had, I thought about this for a while, and then I was thinking about it this week. I've entitled the message, Things, Things. I want to show you from these verses. It's, I think it's amazing how many times he uses that word, things. Verse, begin there first in verse 28. And we know that all things, all things, not some things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Like the poem says, his purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. All things. All things. I thought about this, Danny, he loves the farm. But he bought him a hay baler, and it's been nothing but trouble since he bought it. And that thing is so intricate, has so, oh, so many little parts and little things that have to work perfectly together, or it don't work. It can break a belt, and the whole thing sit down. You mean one belt? One thing affects the whole thing. <laughs> All things work together perfectly for God's glory, and for the salvation of his people. And we know this. We know this. We've been taught this. 
In Isaiah 46, 11, I have spoken it. I have, will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Don't ever forget that. I know we know verse Romans 8, 28. We can quote it. We can recite it. We can write it. But remember, all things, whatever that thing is, works together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? What shall we say? Who can speak against these things? Whom he did foreknow? That means he did forelove. Whom he did forelove, he did predestinate. And whom he did predestinate, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say to those things? I just say, wow. <laughs> you think about those things. He, he predestinated he called you, and all these things are in the past tense. He hath glorified. In God's sight, we're already glorified. We are already perfect. Who shall, lay, who shall say anything? Who shall say, what shall we say to these things? Nothing can be added or taken away from these things. He's done all things for his glory and the salvation of his people. Some people don't like these things. They hate that hated word, that despised word, predestination. They don't need to look it up in a dictionary to know what that means. It just means predestinated. God predetermined what would happen. And what did he predetermine? What did God predestinate? That you would be conformed to the image of, of his son, and he's going to use everything to bring that to pass in his own time. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing now. What's he doing, preacher? What's God doing in this world? I know one thing. He's teaching us to trust him every day to trust him. Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How's he going to give it to us? Freely. Listen, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's given us the right to these things that pertain to eternal life. Everything that God has for a sinner, he's freely given it to us through Christ. Freely. Given us what? All things. <laughs> what does that mean? It means all things. Freely. He spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not, by Christ, freely, freely, gives us forgiveness, reconciliation, freely, freely gives us all things. God hath put everything into, in Christ's hands, 
In Christ we have a perfect righteousness freely given unto us. And as I've already said, as in God's sights, we are already given glorification. Then verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justifies. Well, well, boy, I, I can find some things wrong with you, Paul. I can find some things wrong. I can find some things wrong with me. But who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's nothing there that can you can condemn him by. Where's their sin? They're all gone. In those days and at that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity is of Israel shall be salt, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve, who shall lay anything. Hold on, I found something. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's nothing there. You think upon that thing. There's nothing there. It's all taken away, taken away. It's all been taken away. Then verse 37. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. No matter what thing may come against the child of God, we are more than conquerors. That means that we're not, we're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You know what that means? We're better for whatever God sends in, whatever thing he sends into our life, we're better for it. We're more than conquerors. David said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. What was one of the things that God used to make David? Well, he used King Saul. He used his own son Absalom. He used those things, and they were things in his life, and God used them. And we are more, and they, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Isn't that amazing? Through him that loved us. He's freely given us all things through Christ, and he freely loves us in Christ. And in Christ, he conquered everything. There's not a thing that he didn't conquer. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered it. And he gave us life and immortality. Verse 38, he says, Things present, nor things to come. Someone said, Paul says that he is fully persuaded that nothing in the whole universe, no matter what, good or bad, which is or shall be, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Don't you know, David, and a lot of times many believers have thought, well, I guess he stopped loving me. If he ever loved you, he would never stop. Never. That's my introduction. I want us to look at a few examples, I think, in Scripture of these things. is taken, actually, from believers, God, those that God converted and brought into the family of God. First one, turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew 
Matthew 19, verse 16. Now watch this. And behold, one came and said unto him, speaking to our Lord, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? If salvation's by doing a good thing, what's the good thing that I must do? And our Lord said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if you will enter into life, if you want to do something, if you want to be received based upon your doings, keep the commandments. You want something to do? Keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Which commandment? Jesus said unto him. Now notice this, he gave him the second table of the law. He did not say anything about not taking God's name in vain. Don't make any graven images. He said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto them, All these things have I kept from my youth up. He said, what, can, what good thing can I do? He said, I've kept those things. I've kept those things. And he really believed it. The young man, all these, all these things have I kept from my youth up since I was just a little boy. What lack I yet? What do I lack? And here's what he said, and Jesus said unto him, If you would be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. But I want to read it also from the account, Mark's account. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He loved him. Now, I'll leave that up to you to determine what that means. But he said he loved him. That means he loved him. And he said unto him, now watch this. He said, what, what, he said, what lack I yet? And here in Mark's gospel, and, he, and our Lord said, one thing, one thing thou lackest. One thing? You want to do something? What must I do? Well, you lack one thing. And that one thing, either you will bow to that one thing and you will and be converted or you will not bow or you will not bow and you will perish. That one thing. One thing you lack. Go thy way. If you want to be saved by doing something, go your way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possession, great possessions. You know what our Lord did? He took his finger and put it on the one thing. <laughs> he said, if you want to do one thing, if you want to do one thing to inherit eternal life, I'm going to put my finger on that one thing. And that one thing, he wouldn't do it. Isn't that ironic? The one thing. No, I can't do that. You know why? That one thing was his God. He would do anything but that thing. One thing, you think about that one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Now turn to 
Philippians chapter 3, an example of Paul. Philippians 3.13. Paul was a man in religion. He did a lot of things. You know, and it's, I didn't mean it this way in my outline, but you know who a lot of people think that that man was that I just read to you about? The, they call him the rich young ruler. You know who most believed that he was, that was? Most believe it was Saul of Tarsus. One thing we do know, I can say this so much about God's love. If God loved him, he always loved him, and he can only love him in Christ, and though that he loves, he converted him. If that was him... But that man learned some things. I can tell you one thing. <laughs> he learned something that day when he came to our Lord. He learned, you wonder what he thought about when he went home. He said, I lacked one thing. I can't do that. I just can't do that. And I know you can't because it's not in you doing it. You could keep the whole law, and you're commanded to keep the whole law. If you could, you know what the law says? Keep the whole law and you'll have life. But if you break one, you've broken them all. One thing. Adam did one thing. God gave him one thing not to do. Don't take of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know what he did? That thing. But Paul in Philippians 3.13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. Let me just read to you what Brother Henry said about this text. Paul was saying, I don't claim to have arrived at perfection in doctrine, in spirit, nor in creed. He said, I admit it. I've not, I've not arrived. I've not arrived. I'm not yet all that Christ would have me to be. I'm not all that I would like to be or even all that I ought to be. But thank God he was not what he once was. He said, one thing I do. Forget what lies behind me. What lies behind us, our struggles, our attempts at self-righteousness and false religion. Our works and our labors since conversion and our recent growth because of the revelations that God had given unto him. You know, it's hard for us to forget those things. Now, I know what I'm saying is you can't wipe it off your mind. I don't think David ever forgot it. I don't think Peter ever forgot it. You can't forget it. But I can't dwell on it. One thing I do, forgetting those things and reaching forth unto the things which are before me. The illustration is taken from a runner in a race who does not stop to look behind him to see how far they've come, nor to determine how far they are in front of the other racers. But they are concerned, for, concerned for what they are doing now and for what lays ahead. You know, I can't do one thing about what's behind me. And I can't do anything about what's in front of me. But the one, he said, I press toward the mark. 
the one thing he liked was Christ. The one thing we seek after, the goal is Christ, and not that he's a thing. But he, we should focus on him and forget everything. You say, well, look what you did. Yeah, I know what I did. I wished I could forget it. But he said, it's not going to hinder me. One thing I do. It's hard to do more than one thing at one time. I hate to have ten things going at one time. It's like the old saying, you got your plate too full. You got too many eyes on the stove. You can't do those things. You can't do all those things well at the same time. I know Danny is a farmer. He has a lot of things on his mind. <laughs> and hey, it's time to get hey, it's time to get it up. He knows when he's got to get it up. He knows he's, he's got to, he's got to, he's watching the weather all the time. Is it going to rain? Is, those are things. But he can't, and he can't dwell on last year's. He can't dwell on how many times that, that, that field flooded. <laughs> he just said, I ain't going to take it no more. But those are, I'm not trying to be too simple, but those are things. Things that we deal with every day. Things. Things. Turn with me to Zechariah 4.10. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. I'll give you a second to find it. Who hath despised the day of small things? We call it small. Let me read to you something from Brother Henry. I just got a lot of help. I think I've put this article in its complete form in next week's bulletin. That way, if you want to have it, you can have a copy of it. He said, God delivered a nation from 400 years of bondage with a shepherd's staff, a small thing. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's a rod. How you going to turn that water into blood with that rod? How you going to open up the Red Sea with a rod? How you going to deliver all those people with the rod? Who's the rod? That's Christ. Most people despised him. He's a root out of dry ground. He's small things. God slew a giant and saved a nation with a sling and a stone. He turned the world upside down with 11 simple men. Think about it. 11 men turned the world. Don't despise the day of small things. But he said we must not apply this truth to the instruments that God uses, small, insignificant people, but should apply it also to the small task that lays ahead. It is true that God uses humble men to perform great works for his glory, but, also, but God also uses his servants to teach little children, Today, he raises up pastors to pastor a, a small assembly, to witness to one Ethiopian, to offer up a prayer. Now listen, it's a good statement. Most of us are willing to be humble men doing great work. But how many of us great men are willing to do humble work? Don't despise today as small things. Now you know, we're humble, we know that we're nothing, and we would like to do something great. What about doing something small? 
insignificant. He said it is most doubtful that our Lord will trust us with any great responsibility until it has been proven that we are faithful in a few things. There's so much truth there. Whatever it is that he's given us to do, God help us to be faithful and not despise the day of the world to look at us and they say, oh, that's just a little congregation. Don't you despise the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. He said, Henry said, it's been my understanding from the scriptures that those whom God entrusts with great responsibility were content with where they were and with what they were doing. Moses, when did God call him? Not when he was in Egypt. God took him on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And God spoke to him in a bush. David. Where, did, where was he at when God called him? He was watching. Moses was watching Jethro's sheep. David was watching his father Jesse's sheep. And what did Joseph do? He went to check on his brothers who were watching their daddy's sheep. What were the, what, that's the thing they were doing. They were doing something when he called them. What servant chooses his own task? His own place of labor? His own time of service? Does not the faithful servant ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? And here I've quoted this many times. Everybody wants to take the floor, but few care to sweep the floor. The prodigal did not labor as a hired servant, but he was willing to be one. So let's, God help us not to despise and overlook the day of small Things. It may be small to us, but it's not to him. If it's the salvation of one of his children, that's a big thing. Now turn to one more. Mary and Martha, Luke 10, verse 38. These are just ordinary people living ordinary lives, doing ordinary things in their life. But God teaches us through this. He, teach, he taught them lessons, and he teaches us lessons. I mean, you, can, you imagine just, for instance, think about Moses again. This man was somebody this man was refined. He was not an ignorant man. He was, he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. And God's going to work it out in such a way and cause things to happen where he kills this Egyptian and they find out about it. And he flees Egypt. He's got to flee Egypt. And he goes on the backside of the desert. Who wants to go from 
being next to Pharaoh to, to leading a bunch of sheep out here in the desert. But God used that. God makes his people. Here we see in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received her into her house. Now this could have been Martha's house. We know that we see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus a lot together, and they could have been staying with her at her house, but it says this was her house. So they, the, all these people that come were guests at her house. And she has a lot of things to do because there's a lot of people there. Ladies, can you imagine what? It's just like, Sarah, we just show up with about 10 or 12 of us. And you've not, you've not planned on lunch or anything. And then she goes, well, I didn't even go to the supermarket. How, how am I going to feed all these people? What am I going to do? Where am I going to begin? That's the picture. Martha received her into her house, into their house, and she gladly did. She was she was glad to have them. She was glad the Lord was pleased. You think about this to come to her house. That's not a small thing. <laughs> That's a big thing. I don't you I don't read many places that he went to their house. I know he went to Peter's house and he raised his mother-in-law that was sick. And he went to Zacchaeus' house, but I don't know that he went to a lot of people's houses. You think about when he told Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to your house. (laughs) And here he come to Martha's house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. And she sat there and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered. That word cumbered means to drag all around. She was cumbered about much serving. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. We almost cringe, don't we? Do you not care? I can see her in her in the kitchen and the whole time. I, I mean, we're, we all, every one of us has been there. Well, she, well, she'd come in here and help me do some of this stuff. I want to do it, but you know, you see how we things that we should do, we can have such a bad attitude about it. She could have, she could, the right thing to have done would have been to say, Mary, would you mind helping me just for a minute? Oh, no, she didn't even speak to Mary. She spoke to our Lord. She said, do you, you imagine before everybody, she's so mad. We get so mad and we just blurt it out. Do you not care? Well, well sure he cares. Do you not care that Mary's sitting there at your feet and I'm in there working to try to fix us some lunch? Do you not care that my sister, she's left me to serve alone. Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. Do you ever feel like you're alone? Like you're the only one doing the work. <laughs> Boy, ain't that us? <laughs> ain't nobody having it as bad as we are. Yeah, they are. Now, watch this. Now, here's the grace. And every one of us has acted just like Martha. And Jesus answered and said unto her, in tenderness, Martha, Martha. Martha, 
Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. He just troubled about things. God give us grace to not be troubled. Now these were good things. These were commendable things that she was doing. But look at verse 42. But one thing is needful. And Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. One thing's needful. God help us to find out what that one thing is. Mary knew it. <laughs> it's sitting at his feet. I could care less if we eat dinner or not. Really. It's like when our Lord was there at the well with the woman and, and the disciples come back and they come back with groceries, maybe had some sandwiches made or something. And they said, here, Lord, we want you to eat so we can eat. We're about to starve to death. He said, I ain't hungry. He said, did somebody bring him something to eat? He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He, man, he was wrapped up in one thing, dealing with that woman. Because one thing was needful for that woman. And they're going, wow. If we could just see, by God's grace, the one thing that's needful. Needful. And Mary has chosen that which will not be taken away from her. In conclusion, one thing is needful. There are many things in the world that would want our attention, but only one thing is needful. You have to work. You have to provide for a family. You have to provide for a home. Those things are things you have to do. But the most important thing in all the world is him. We come in with today, we try to teach and preach and lead to singing and pray. One thing is for him to be honored. And Kurt, like you said, though, that God would meet with us. That's needful. Mary sitting there listening. She said, I don't want to be distracted. I want to hear every word he says. Because everything, everything he says is important. One thing's needful. We need Christ. We need to know more about him. We need to worship him. And we need to serve him. There may be other things that are good in their place, but they're not needful. The, th the many things for which men and women struggle and fight for in this world will in the day of judgment prove to be things not needful, but rather a great weight dragging, dragging them down. To hell. Only one thing is needful, and that's him. He's all I need. And if you're saved, nothing else matters. <laughs> See, Mary Mothers was just consumed. And Martha and Mary was consumed. Lord, speak. It's needful that I hear from him. 
It's needful that I get a word from him or I have nothing for you. It's needful. I need him. We need him. If you are lost, nothing else should matter but him. And nothing else can do you any good but the one thing needful. I hope you just didn't hear the word thing, but you heard him. I remember one time, and I'll just be honest, I preached a message on time, and somebody, I don't know if they, they maybe just trying to help or critical, I don't know. They said, do you know how many times you said time? No, I didn't count it. <laughs> do you know how many times you said thing? No, I didn't count them. But if I, got, if I, by God's grace, would enable you to see him, that's the main thing I had in mind. 